once you've found Luke 14 in your Bibles, Luke 14, you're going to be reading from verse 12 down through verse 15 to start with, and then we'll be looking at the passage uh, further as we go along. I'll begin reading in verse 12, and then we'll begin together reading in verse 13, and then we'll continue reading responsibly. I'll read the even-numbered verses alone. We'll read the odd-numbered verses together. The Bible says in verse 12, Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee come, and a recompense be made thee. Together, 13. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. We're going to look at a sermon this morning entitled this, A Life-Saving Station on Wheels. A Life-Saving Station on Wheels. That's what our bus ministry is. Our bus goes out every week. It brings boys and girls and men and women who otherwise wouldn't have a ride to our church. It brings them in here and gives them transportation to our church. And so before we pray, I failed to dismiss our Spanish church. If you would like to hear the sermon translated into Spanish, this week Brother Andres is translating for us. You can follow him out to the uh, Spanish translation room and hear the sermon in Spanish. So I'll give that announcement in Spanish. I believe there's some folks in here that would benefit from that. Si quieres escuchar el mensaje traducido en español, puedes seguir hermano Andres al otro cuarto, alrededor del auditorio, puedes escuchar el mensaje traducido. Gracias por tu asistencia en nuestra iglesia. Espero que disfrutas Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you so much for being a God who loves us and cares for us. Thank you, God, that you have given us the opportunity not only to look after our families and our neighbors, those that can transport themselves to church, but, Lord, you've given our church the awesome responsibility of reaching out to those who otherwise wouldn't be able to be here. Lord, through the history of White Oak Baptist Church, for many years now, we've brought men and women, boys and girls, that you love into this building, and Lord, many lives have been changed, many souls have been saved, and Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for what our bus ministry has done, and Lord, we anticipate what you're going to do through it. So Lord, this morning, I believe the bus ministry for many of our church people is mostly out of sight, out of mind. We see folks, but Lord, we don't really understand what our bus workers go through, what they do. We don't understand, Lord... Uh, our bus riders, how they live, and, uh, Lord, um, uh, the circumstances that they endure. So, Lord, may we shed some light on that today, and may you do a great work amongst us in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Back in Jesus' day, banquets were a big deal. In fact, here in Luke 14, you find Jesus uh, at a banquet, and throughout the Bible, you find him at quite a few of these Banquets. Here he is teaching his disciples to throw fancy dinners. No, not just fancy dinners for their well-to-do family members or their rich neighbors, but rather they're to throw fancy dinners for the poor and sickly. Here Jesus is saying, give nice things to those that can't reward you back or uh, be more concerned with giving than getting. Where did the bus ministry begin. This idea of taking a bus and going into another neighborhood and loading it up with boys and girls and men and women and 
driving that bus on into church. Where did that begin? Well, half a century ago, M.J. Parker was a member of the Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he saw a funeral home down the road from where he lived that was selling two hearsts. And so he went and talked to his pastor, Dr. Lee Robertson at that time, or soon to be thereafter, Highland Park Baptist Church would be the largest church in America. And he went and talked to Dr. Lee Robertson and convinced him into buying these two hearsts. And he, um, he uh, went at, around with these hearsts and he uh, bought a bucket of baseballs. And he told all the kids in the neighborhood, if you come to church with me tomorrow, I will give you a baseball. Very soon thereafter, both hearsts were filled with children. I picture these funeral vehicles pulling up in front of church and kids and teenagers and maybe even some adults pouring out of the back and walking into church. And shortly after that, he noticed that the public school system had a retired bus for sale. And he convinced the pastor to buy that bus. And there, from there, the bus ministry was born. Uh, they began to fill up that bus and buy another and then another, and then another. And before you knew it, Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee had buses running all over Chattanooga, bringing in boys and girls and teenagers and adults and giving them a ride to church. And other churches began to buy in and, uh, to the idea. Other churches began to buy buses, and hence the bus ministry was born. Now, Moody bought, brought, uh, D.L. Moody brought kids to church in the 1800s on trailers uh, pulled behind horses. And uh, J. Frank Norris... Um, in the 1900s, prior to uh, Lee Robertson's uh, effort, J. Frank Norris brought people on a flatbed truck with benches bolted down. And, but as far as we know, Highland Park Baptist Church was the first to use buses. What has been the result of the bus ministry across America and even around the globe now? Hundreds of millions of boys and girls. I, I say that again. That number is not inflated. It, it, is, it is exactly that. Hundreds of millions of boys and girls and men and women have been given a ride to church and the vast many of them resulting have received Christ as a result, have been saved as a result. Um, in 2004, Michael Peslak became the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. Shortly after he was installed, he raised some money and bought a handful of buses. He had those ba- buses painted maroon or as they're known around Bridgeport, the red buses. And he sent those red buses all over Bridgeport. In fact, it's hard for me to spend more than an hour in Bridgeport without hearing someone say, if I'm talking about White Oak Baptist Church, you're the church with the red buses. Or you're the church that had the red buses. And I say, yeah, we're that church. We're known all over Bridgeport as the church with the red buses. And the bus ministry, through Pastor Pezlak, the bus ministry was born here at our church. As of today, there have been thousands of different people from the south side of Stratford and Bridgeport that have been brought to church through our own bus ministry. And as a result, many lives have been changed. Uh, On a regular basis, we have a handful of adults who began riding our church bus in the fourth and fifth grade, and uh, they're now members of our church. Jael sitting back here. All right, everybody look. Jael wants everybody to look at her, all right? Jael's never met a stranger, I don't think. Um, Taylor and Tiandre are twins, and they started coming in the fourth, fourth fifth grade, third, third grade, and uh, started coming. They're now adults and members of our church. And Isaiah, Isaiah, how, how old were you when you started coming? 
junior year in high school and been coming faithful. He's in his 20s. He's a member of our church. There's a handful of others. We have several that come. They're adults. Mercedes, uh, uh, adult, brings her family in through our bus ministry every week. Miss Vera back here uh, on the back row and uh, Miss um, Victoria with her kids. And we have many adults that are part of our church as a result of our bus ministry on top of the many, many that were reached. I'll just insert this right here. Last night I did a funeral uh, for Anna Sepulveda. I'd asked many of you to pray for this funeral. Anna is Amanda's sister, and Anna was 22 years old when she died. Uh, she'd gotten involved in uh, some things that were unhealthy and made some poor choices, and one of those uh, poor choices ended up taking her life. And my heart breaks for the family. I was able to do the funeral last night. We were able to honor Anna and honor her life and talk about a lot of the good uh, that was in Anna's life. But Anna... Anna's family was reached, Anna and Amanda's family was reached because someone from this church knocked on the door of the Sepulveda family there on the east side of Bridgeport. And uh, Miss Iris Sepulveda and all of her kids began riding the bus. And Anna and Amanda uh, came and sat on the front row down here back when we had pews in the building, sat in the front row with Miss Joanne Owens. And Anna put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save her. Anna's in heaven today. Anna's in heaven today. Uh, we wish Anna was still with us, but Anna's in heaven today. And Amanda, her sister, uh, who was reached through our bus ministry, is in Bible college uh, working on getting a Christian school teacher's degree. And we rejoice over that. Uh, many, many, many good things come of our church's bus ministry. I believe that if Jesus were walking the planet today and if Jesus were pastoring a church, that his church would have a bus ministry. I believe that. I believe that. Uh, Jesus spent his time, when he walked the earth, he recruited his disciples. Jesus spent his time with the outcasts of society. Jesus didn't go to the school where the Pharisees trained and recruit his disciples. Jesus didn't find the Sanhedrin and ask them to be his disciples. He didn't walk in the temple and ask the temple leaders or the synagogue leaders to be his disciples. No, he went and found Matthew, who was an outcast publican, and said, follow me. He found Peter and James and, and John and uh, he said to them who were fishermen, uh, he said, follow me. He found uh, just various folk all around Jerusalem who were just peasants, common, ordinary people, and he said, follow me. He found those that society, uh, the, the elitists of society wanted nothing to do with, and he said, follow me. I believe if Jesus were alive today and he were pastoring a church, Jesus would have a bus ministry because Jesus would go look for those that the elitists of society have discounted or discluded. He loved on those. Jesus loved on those no one else wanted to love. When our Savior left and ascended up to heaven, He gave the disciples their commission. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go ye therefore and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then verse 20 begins and says this, Teaching them to observe all things. So what was the commission Jesus gave to His disciples? His commission was lead people to salvation and then baptize them and then disciple them. Lead people to salvation, baptize them, and then disciple them. In the church age, I cannot think of another ministry tool that has been more effective in fulfilling the mission that Christ gave His church than the bus ministry. I believe the bus ministry has been the most 
effective tool in the church age to accomplish the Great Commission. Why? Because oftentimes it reaches the neglected of society. Uh, it is an effective tool to see those uh, that ride our buses saved. I'll spare using the name, but we have a young man in the room right now. He's been riding our church buses for years. Friday night at our teen activity, he was brought on a bus to the teen activity. He began to ask a lot of questions about heaven and hell, and he bowed his head, and he put his faith in Jesus to be his Savior. Uh, because many of them, uh, many of the folks that ride our buses get saved at church, they develop a relationship with the church, and then many of them are baptized. And then those who ride our bus week after week and month after month and year after year end up being discipled, and they learn to be like Christ. The Great Commission is accomplished through the bus ministry, the story of reaching the outcast and turning them into disciples has been repeated tens of millions of times because of the bus ministry. I, I want to take a moment and I want to thank those who are personally involved in making our bus ministry work. And uh, many of these folks don't want me to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. And the reason why they don't want me to do it is because they're humble servants and they want no recognition. But I believe a service like this, it is appropriate. Let me just stop here and uh, be more uh, broad. Let me back up, be broad, then I'll come in and be specific. We're to give all the glory to God. All the glory goes to God. But the Bible does say in the book of Proverbs, it says we're to give honor to them to whom it is due. Now watch this. We give honor to people, but we give glory to God. Amen. God gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. Uh, but there are, there are servants, and I use that word servants. There are servants in this church who, who week after week sacrifice on a level that the average person here does not sacrifice, on a level that I don't even sacrifice, or rather in a way I don't sacrifice. And uh, I believe it's appropriate that we take a minute and we honor those who give of their time to make our bus ministry work. Our church has two bus captains. We just started a second bus route and excited to see the potential of where that's going. But if we'd have our bus captain stand at this time, Mrs. Mrs. Angela Lejeune, my wife, and Brother Carson Vara. Where are you at? Brother Carson's upstairs teaching our junior church. Don't worry. There's going to be others joining you here in just a minute. Brother, Brother Carson Vara is upstairs preaching junior church this week. You know, because you all spontaneously clapped, I'm going to pay for that when I get home, right? <laughs> you shouldn't have done it. Stay standing. you got others that are going to join you. Please hold your applause. We have everyone standing uh, for me. Our bus workers that work on the bus route, assisting Miss Angela and Brother Carson, or Brother Kyrie Leon, uh, Sochi Salinas, the daughter, and then Matthew and April Lejeune, uh, and then uh, Brother Jacob Okai. Brother Okai, where's Brother Okai? He's, he's, in, uh, he's back in there helping count the offering. Brother Jacob Okai and then Mrs. Michaela Vara, who's, I believe, also upstairs uh, helping. And so, uh, let's see, Brother Scarpetti, if you'd stand for me, Brother Scarpetti, be able to do that. Let's give all of our bus workers a round of applause. All these folks, week after week, they devote a large amount of their time and money to loving others who most likely, watch this now, will never be able to, in scare quotes, pay them back. They'll never really be able to pay them back. Now, they're paid, they'll be paid back in heaven, but these people will not be able to pay them back. And I just want to say to each of you that just stood a moment ago or had your name called, thank you 
for showing each of us what is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, Jesus, or uh, rather Paul wrote, he said, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Humility is the mind of Christ. Servant, being a servant and giving up of your, uh, uh, of your time and energy and resources to better others is the mind of Christ. To all of you who are involved, let me say thank you for your selfless sacrifice. Thank you for loving those that have been neglected by much of the elitists of our society. Thank you for all the times you, are, you all are seeing kids get home safely while the rest of us are at home enjoying a hot meal with our families on a Sunday afternoon. Thank you for all of the Saturdays that you sacrifice out visiting, knocking doors, meeting new people, recruiting folks to be on your bus route. Last year, we began renting a bus from a local school bus company to help us with the transportation to and from the Sunday morning service. A handful of you have given over and above your regular giving to help us pay for a portion of that weekly expense. To those of you who have contributed to our church's bus ministry to help pay for the rental bus, I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for your contribution to help pay for the bus. Uh, I believe one day the souls that are saved through our bus ministry, God is going to reward you in heaven because of the financial sacrifice that you've made. This morning, please listen, this morning all over Bridgeport, Stratford, and even New Haven, Many other places in between, there are little boys and girls, teenagers and adults, whose lives could be changed if they were simply invited to ride a church bus. Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 4, or rather John 4, he said, Look unto the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. I look at Bridgeport as I drive around Bridgeport and Stratford and And I have a vision of one day seeing us start a bus ministry, a bus route in New Haven. I don't think it's unreasonable. You can hop on 95 and be in New Haven, um, at least the, uh, let's see, the west side of New Haven in in a relative short amount of time. I'd love to see us start a bus route in in New Haven. I'd love to see us expand and grow in that way. But I I look all over these cities, and I'll tell you what I see. I see a whole lot of people that need Jesus. Now here in the suburbs, a higher percentage of people have a vehicle and can drive themselves into church. There's many reasons why folks in, in an inner city don't have a car. It's not always because of poverty, right? Sometimes it's not necessary to have a car. You can take a city bus to where you need to get or Uber to where you need to get relatively cheap. Some folks have money in the inner city. And I don't, listen, I want to be careful not to paint everyone in the inner city as poor. Not everyone in the inner city is poor. And not everyone in the inner city lives in a dysfunctional home. Plenty of people have the same home structures that we have out here in the suburbs. They have just as much money there in the inner city. But all the same, there are people in the inner city that don't have transportation and, or parents who have no interest in using their transportation to get their kids to church. And our bus can go down there and bring them to church and give them a ride. And it's great that Miss Angela and Miss Sochi and Brother Carson and Brother Kyrie, all the other people I mentioned just a moment ago, it's great that they're signed up and helping in this, but boy, I wonder if there's someone sitting in the auditorium today 
if God were to move in your heart and you were to learn how to do this, if you couldn't help us start yet another bus route and uh, see more boys and girls. I wonder yet if there's someone in the room today, maybe you're not able, uh, whether it's a schedule conflict or, um, uh, or just a, a health conflict or a stage of life conflict, but maybe you're able to open up your wallet a little bit and, and designate money to our bus ministry so that we could expand how many buses that we send out and how many boys and girls that we pick up. I look out over these regions and I'll tell you what I see. I see a harvest of souls waiting to be gathered for the kingdom of heaven. Just like Jesus. Now, remember in John 4, Jesus is in Samaria. He's standing there by the well. The woman who he's just uh, uh, saved, she runs into the city. And what does she say? She says, come out uh, of, of town. Come out to the well and see a man who's told me everything that I've done. Is not this the Christ? And the disciples are questioning Jesus about what he's eaten. And he's being metaphorical and talking about he has meat to eat that he knows knows not uh, that, that they know not of. What's he talking about? He's saying there are people getting ready to come out here. And between the city of Samaria and where Jesus stood must have been some sort of harvest field, some sort of vegetation. And here these people are mingling their way through these fields. And Jesus looks down and he says, look on the field for their white under harvest. Here come the people. Jesus will spend the next several days ministering to the needs of those people. Just as uh, this woman went into the city of Samaria and brought people out of the city to be preached to, we are to go into the cities around us and bring them into our church and tell them that Jesus saves. I believe this morning that Christ would have each of us do our part to get the broken and poor to church so that they can hear that message that Jesus saves. Let's look at four observations from this parable of the king and his fancy banquet. All right, we're going to be in Luke 14. We're going to take it apart uh, uh, one little piece at a time from verse 15 down through about verse 23. Let's jump in here. Use your bulletin back to your bulletin. There's an outline. I encourage you to take notes as we go. Point number one. Let's look here. The king's dinner. The king's dinner. Look at verse number 15 of Luke chapter 14. The Bible says, And when one of them... Uh, that sat at meat with him, Jesus, heard these things. He said unto Jesus, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said Jesus unto this man, then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time uh, to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. So uh, Jesus was sitting at dinner in Luke 14 here. Jesus is sitting at dinner with people who were well to do. These were the elitists of society. These were Pharisees, people of religious clout. These were people who were uh, uh, who were aristocrats and, and and in the in the know. They were in positions of power within town. Jesus is sitting there having dinner with these people, and at this banquet uh, was a man. Verse two tells us that had the dropsy. He was sick. He he had an infirmity. We don't know if this was maybe the child of someone who is rich there, uh, or this was just someone who wandered in off the street who was a peasant and it happened to be sick. We don't know the details of this man in verse 2, but we do know that it was the Sabbath day. And uh, Jesus healed the man. Uh, much to the chagrin, much to the dislike of the Pharisees, Jesus looks at them and he tackles the issue head on and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the Bible says that uh, early in the chapter, it says they just sat there and stood and watched to see what he would do. 
And Jesus heals the man. And then he looks at them and says, Now, how many of you have an ox that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, goes and gets the ox out of the ditch? How much more valuable is this man than one of your ox, oxen? He sort of shut him down before they had a chance to get going. And so then, uh, Luke 14, uh, he heals the man with the dropsy and the withered hand. He, he gives him his health back. And, and then Jesus takes a moment on the heels of that and teaches the, a parable and a lesson about humility. He talks about a wedding. And there, at that wedding, you'd go and there'd be several rooms or several floors. And uh, the more elite you were uh, to or the more uh, well-known you were to the bride and groom, the closer to them you got to sit, sit. And Jesus said, listen, when you go to a wedding... Don't go sit at the table right next to the bride and groom and then be demoted back. He said, no, go sit uh, furthest from the groom and let them advance you up closer. It's a lesson on humility. It's a lesson about not being assumptive. He said, uh, those that abase themselves will be exalted and those that exalt themselves will be abased. And then he moves on, and Jesus in Luke 14, on the heels of that, he moves on and he begins to talk about a room filled, uh, uh, rather, he begins to talk about uh, throwing a banquet. And he says, listen, when you throw a banquet, don't just throw it for people who are in your inner circle that can then throw a banquet and invite you, right? It's this, I'll pat your back as long as you turn around and pat my back attitude, right? I'm going to invite you to my banquet this month, and then you can invite me to your banquet next month. All right? Jesus said, no, don't do that. Throw a banquet. Make it lavish. Make it big. Make it fancy. But then go find people and bring them into this banquet that can't afford to throw a banquet and then invite you. And then there's a man sitting there in Luke 14, 15, who must have been a friend of the man who threw the banquet and felt as though Jesus had taken a jab at this guy and wanted to change the subject a little bit, wanted to talk about the banquet in heaven. Look at verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, he said unto Jesus, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, with the Pharisees, I sometimes just want to hit my head against the wall and think, you guys just don't get it. You guys just don't get it. Jesus is talking about uh, doing away with this elitist attitude and loving on the poorest and bringing them into a banquet. And this man says, I can't wait till the banquet at the kingdom of heaven. Talking about elitist banquets, that's going to be the elite of elite. I'm going to sit at the table there and I'm going to enjoy that. And Jesus then turns around and he tells the parable that is the subject of our message today. Now, I want to make sure that before I give an application of the parable, that I give the interpretation of the parable. Watch this now. A lot of false doctrine comes from when we take a, a story in the Bible out of context. A passage out of, Bible, out of the Bible out of context. It's fine to make an application to your everyday living, but we need to make sure that before we make an application, we fully and thoroughly understand the interpretation. How do you get interpretation? All right. Uh, if you've never heard me say this before, I encourage you to write this down. There are two ways you get interpretation of Scripture. Uh, you must first provide scriptural context. What's that mean? You read a verse and it seems to contradict the rest of the Bible. Back up and read all of the verses around it. Read the verses before. Read the verses after. Provide scriptural context. All right. The other way you get a proper interpretation of Scripture is that you provide historical context. 
historical context. You need to understand the culture in which something was, under, was said. You need to understand the history and what's going on around that time and so that you can get proper context. So what is the historical context of this? Jesus was saying, and I've already lost some of you. Some of you checked out. All right, I'm asking you to check back in. You say, Pastor, how do you know when people check out? Because I stand up here and you sit out there and I can see your faces. And I can see some of you go off into la-la land. How many of you ever heard, never heard the phrase la-la land? All right. Uh, I asked my English teacher in high school, where did you get the phrase la-la land? And she said, because some of you look like you're just skipping through the clouds going la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> That's what some of you are doing on me right now. So let me bring you back. Listen, there are times in a preacher's uh, message or when someone's up teaching or preaching where they need you to pay attention on purpose. And then there are other times where I'm going to keep your attention, okay? This is one of those times where I need you to pay attention on purpose, all right? I have everybody, everybody listening? Raise your hand if you're not listening. Okay, all right, the typicals, okay? All right, uh, so some of you are like, whoop, put it back down. Here's the, here's the historical context. Jesus was saying to these, this group of Jewish elitists, he was saying that I was sent here from heaven to invite you to get to heaven. Many of you are going to make excuses and you're not going to come. In fact, most of you are going to make excuses and you're not going to come. And those poor little Gentiles all over the world, they're going to come fill up the banquet hall in heaven. They're going to be the ones that go to heaven because you are the chosen, right? The Jews are the chosen people. Jesus said, I come here and you're the nation that kills the prophets. You're the city, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets. And I would have gathered you under my wings, Matthew 9, as a, as a, as a hen, but ye would not. And so he's saying to these folks, yeah, you want to be at that banquet dinner, but you're going to make every excuse and you're going to end up not showing up. That's the interpretation of the parable. Now let me give you an application as it pertains to us Gentiles and our church here in Stratford. And I know we have a few Jews in the room. We'll include you as well. Amen. Um, But let's let's make the application here in Gentile world, and let's talk about uh, uh, this in application as it goes to the bus ministry. So we see, number one, the king's dinner. Number two, number two, notice the guest's distraction. The guest's distractions. Look with me uh, at uh, verse number 18. Now, this parable was about, before we read, this parable was about the Jews, and I explained that. All right, letter A, notice, uh, some are distracted by wealth. Some are distracted by wealth. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says, And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Jesus says some folks are going to get invited to this banquet, and um, they're uh, they're going to tell the person that delivers the invitation, Uh, Tell the king I can't come because um, I'm wealthy. I'm successful. In fact, I'm so successful, I just bought a piece of property sight unseen, and I've got to take the time to go look it over. And so while the banquet's going on, I'm booked. I can't come. I've got to go over and look at this piece of property. And I want to say, first of all, how arrogant is it to buy a piece of property sight unseen, right? Um, Either you're very wealthy or you're very foolish. And uh, this guy couldn't come to the banquet because he was wealthy. You know, I hope you're listening this morning. 
There's going to be a lot of people one day who don't go to heaven. And the reason why they're not in heaven is because they were too wealthy on planet Earth. The Bible says, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What did that mean? Does that mean if you have millions of dollars in the bank that it's impossible for you to get saved? No, that's not what it means. The word rich there, let me just tell you right now, we're so money-minded that we hear the word rich and the only thing we think of is money. Right? Do you know that you can have no money in the bank and still be rich? Rich in relationships. But do you know that there's a bad way to be rich? How about this? Rich in pride. Rich in independence. I'm an independent guy. I love to do things for myself. Right? Before I uh, will call and get help, I'll fail a bunch of times and get frustrated. Right? And my wife will say, why don't you call somebody? Because I'm independent and I don't want anybody telling me how to do this. There are some people who are so rich in pride, they don't want to ask the Lord to save them. They don't want to ask the Lord to save them. Here's their attitude. Because I have been successful on planet Earth, I'll figure out the other side when I get there. I go soul winning in Bridgeport sometimes. Get my get a pocket full of gospel tracks and I find a poor neighborhood around the Washington Avenue neighborhood, Washington Avenue area. Folks that use government assistance to help pay for their housing. And I'm not judging, I'm just stating the way it is, and I'll knock on doors down there. You know, what I find is that these people who are financially poor also are poor in their spirit. The Bible says in Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'll knock on a door and someone's going through hardships in their life and they don't have any money, and I say, Can I tell you how you can get to heaven? And you know what I find? Many of them are willing to open up their heart and let me tell them about Jesus. I go into these neighborhoods of homes that are worth $500,000 plus. These are houses that have doors where when you knock on them in the winter, they hurt your hands. Solid wood doors. You knock on the door, and if you can even get someone to come to their door, they don't have time for you. You're just a mosquito on their arm. They just flick you away. Go away and leave me alone. I'm busy resting from my work week where I made a lot of money and I don't have time for you and your Jesus talk. You see, one day, Jesus is going to have a banquet in heaven and many people who are wealthy are not going to be there. I wrote this quote down, Failure has slain its thousands, success its tens of thousands. Failure has slain its thousands, Success, it's tens of thousands. Now, you're here today, and we have folks in the church here today that are wealthy, well-to-do. They have nice things and drive nice cars and live in nice homes, and you've opened your heart and you've gotten saved because at some point in your life, you humbled your heart and you uh, accepted Christ as your Savior, and I rejoice with you in that. Can I just uh, speak a word to those of you here that are financially set? Please don't look down your nose at anybody, ever. Hear me and hear me loud and clear. But for the grace of God, you would be living in an inner city neighborhood in a home that was drafty with no money. But for the grace of God, you're no better than they are. 
I'm no better than they are. The Lord loves them just as much as He loves you. He died for them just like He died for you. Now, he's called many of us to go and tell them about Jesus. Hey, listen, I want to take the gospel where people want to hear it. And I don't mind, I don't mind taking the gospel to the rich and being rejected. But if the poor want to hear me, then I'm going to take the gospel to the poor. I guess distractions, some of them were distracted by wealth, let her be. Others were distracted by work. Distracted by work. Look at Luke 14 and look at verse 19. The Bible says, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. This guy's a workaholic. He's got a growing business, a growing company, man. He doesn't have time to go to some banquet. He's got money to be made. He's got hours to complete. Yeah, he's trying to earn that overtime, right? He's bought five oxen. He's got another field to plow. And uh, uh, there's always something else to do. And here this guy is uh, being invited to this fancy banquet, but no time for him. No time for him. I remember when I lived in Baltimore and I was a Spanish pastor. Angela and I would go out into Spanish neighborhoods and we would look to invite folks to our up and growing Spanish church. And I found that a lot of Spanish men, I'd knock on their door, I found that a lot of Spanish men would say the same thing to me. They'd show interest in uh, salvation, they would show interest uh, in uh, spiritual things, but then I'd invite them to church on Sunday and they would say the same thing every time. They'd say, trabajo. That means work. I've got to go to work. You know, that's not just a Spanish problem. That's a money-minded, money-making, money-first problem. And it's not just in America. It's all over the world. I, I want to be very clear where I stand on this, and I'm not meaning to come across as judgmental on anyone, but I want to be very clear where I stand on this. Church should be before work. You should put the Lord before money-making every single time. I'm going to take it a step further. I don't think that you should work when there's a scheduled church service. I think if there's a scheduled church service, you ought to be there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I know that's not popular. I'm glad Corrine agrees with me. Amen? Some of you, you're elderly and and you can't make it in on Sunday evening because it's not safe for you to drive at night. You can't make it in on Wednesday evening. I understand. You've reached a point in life where it's a little bit different. But I'm speaking, um, so I I, want to make sure I get that disclaimer in there. I want to make sure that's clear. Those of you that are well-bodied and well-able that can get here, what are we doing on Sunday evenings? What are we doing on Wednesday evenings? We're sitting on our couch watching football, watching 60 Minutes. I don't even know what time 60 minutes comes on. The only thing I know is it lasts 60 minutes. Amen? (laughs) Say, well, I need my rest before I go back to work on Monday. What about your spiritual rest in the Lord? We can rest on a church chair or we can rest at home in front of the TV. Amen? Some of you just hope I move on real quick. Ready for me to be done with this. Jesus said, or rather Paul said, I believe it was Paul that said in Hebrews 11, he said, and so much the more, speaking of church attendance, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And what I find across America is that churches are canceling Sunday night church. They're changing their Wednesday evening structure. 
And, uh, boy, we should be adding services, not taking them away. We should be attending more services, not taking them away. Why are some some people not going to be in heaven? Why are they not going to make the banquet? Why are they not going to be busy doing the work of the Lord? Because they're too busy with work. They have their priorities out of order. What were the excuses that Jesus pointed out? He said some are distracted by wealth. Others are distracted by work. Let her see. Some are distracted by a wife. I chose the word wife because it's in the verse. And because it starts with the letter W. Amen? Can't break the alliteration. Look at verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. This goofball. Your wife wants to go to the banquet. Right? She wants you to take her to a fancy dinner. And this guy's like, nope, I just got married. Me and her, uh, we're too busy loving on each other. We're not coming. We're not coming. And this guy was distracted by relationships. I want to just say here, and I, I know I'm meddling this morning, and so I hope, I hope, uh, I hope everyone will have a little bit uh, thicker skin and, and not get their, their feelings hurt and go running out of here. I hope you're hearing me this, this morning. You should not prioritize your family ahead of God. God should come first. And I'm saying this as a man who's married with kids. I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old in my home. Listen, a lot of folks say, well, we can't, we can't do more with the church because we've got our family activities. Why not make your family activities at church? My wife is our church's bus captain, and this was her idea, not mine. I didn't make her be the church's bus captain. When I met Angela and started dating her, she was working on a bus route in Chicago, right outside of Chicago in a city called, named Joliet. And uh, she, uh, she won the... She, she's going to get on me later for telling the story. I'm going to tell it anyway. Amen. I'm, I've got, I'm just going to take it like a man. All right. Um, she, um, she, uh, we started dating, and uh, they had a competition within the, the college there. There were probably 1,500 college kids, and we had a bus ministry that on a big day would bring in 10,000 riders into church. It was a large, large bus ministry. That was just what the college, the college kids would bring in 10,000 riders on the bus. The church's bus ministry would bring in another three or 4,000 riders on the buses. And the, a church, that church was a big church, but they would have 25,000 people in church on a big day. And 10,000 riders on the bus, they had a competition where they awarded uh, the, lady, the lady workers on the bus route who brought the most into church, the, the bus route that brought the most people into church, uh, the ladies were responsible for it, and my wife won that competition. She got a gift card and a free trip to the Mall of America in Minnesota. And she bought me stuff. Amen? (laughs) That was pretty great. And I knew I had a winner. I was dating a woman who was consumed with the bus ministry. As a child, my dad was a bus captain. And he, um, unfortunately, the church we were a part of in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, had deacons that were very, very racist. It was a white church, and they wanted to keep it a white church. And so um, we, we ran buses, and we picked up white kids for church Sunday morning. And while the deacons were at home eating their roast and taking their nap, uh, uh, secretly there were a few bus captains who would take the buses and drop the last child off in the white neighborhood, and they would drive over to the black side of town, and they would fill their bus up with black kids and Spanish kids, and they'd bring them in, and we'd have church in the afternoon Again, we would baptize them again, uh, or ba- we'd have a baptismal service again, and the deacons never knew about this. This was kept hush-hush. 
My dad not only was a bus captain on the white side of town, he would drop the last kid off and then he would head over to the other side of town and he would do it all over again. And you know who his helper was? It was me. <laughs> my Sundays, I'd leave the house in the morning and I'd ride the bus with my dad and all day long I'd go. Saturdays, we would visit the white bus route and we'd go visit the black bus route. And we loved on both groups equally. Thankful for a dad who raised me in a way to love everyone, no matter the color of their skin. Everyone's equal in God's sight. Amen? I believe God was preparing me to pastor this church right here, right now. You know what my dad was teaching? You know what my wife is teaching our children on Saturdays when she loads them in the car and drives them into Bridgeport and visits? She's teaching them, we can still have family time while we serve the Lord together. I've watched, I've watched as kids grow up in church and they turn 18. Oh, I hope, I sure hope you parents are listening to what I'm about to say. I hope I have your ear in your heart. I've watched, Felicis, if you'd sit still for me, please, young man. I've watched as our children grow up in church and they turn 18 and they quit coming to church. Can I tell you why I think that happens? Because we don't teach them how to serve the Lord when they're young. We're content to let them come and sit on a pew or sit in a youth room and have someone else teach them. And they know the Bible. Especially if they come here. But they don't know how to serve the Lord. You know why our kids don't serve the Lord? Because mom and dad aren't serving the Lord either. And that child will leave church at 18, and somewhere about 25, 26, 35, 36, they have a baby, and they say, oh, I need to get back in church to raise my child in church. But they hop back in church, but they're not serving the Lord either. What if we were to have some mom and dads who just said, you know what, on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to give our family time, we're going to serve the Lord together as a family. We're going to put His work ahead of, ahead of our lives. We're going to serve the Lord together as a family. I can already hear it. Whoa, preacher, wait. Hold on. We can't do that. What if my daughter becomes a pastor's wife? <gasps> what if my son becomes a missionary and goes to the other side of the world? <gasps> if God calls them to do that, they'll be happy in the center of God's will. Not everyone whose parents involve them in service as teenagers end up in church ministry. But can I tell you what happens to parents who try their very best to love the Lord, both at church and at home, and raise their children up from their teen years up to serve the Lord? Can I tell you what happens to those kids? They stay in church. They stay in church. All of us hit a point of growth where if we don't start giving out to others we plateau and we stop growing. And if you don't start investing in someone else, you're not going to grow. And that applies to a teenager just as much as it applies to an adult. You teenagers that ride our bus, let me say this to you. You're being loved on by our bus workers. They're loving all over you. And we're thankful that they do that. At some point, you need to start investing in someone else. It's not enough for you just to get invested into you need to turn around and invest in someone else. Distracted. 
distracted by wealth, distracted by work, distracted by a wife, or distracted by family. I don't want to get to heaven and God say, well, what did you do for my kingdom? And I look at him and say, I was too busy raising a family to worry about your kingdom. Boy, no, I want to raise my family while affecting the kingdom of heaven. Number one, the king's dinner. Number two, the guest's distractions. Number three, notice the king's determination. The king's determination. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, So the servants came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Look down to verse 23. And the Lord said unto his, his, his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So, Again, the narrative here, the king uh, sets up this fancy banquet, this fancy dinner. He, he pulls out all the stops, puts the fine tablecloths down, and gets out the extra uh, expensive silverware and uh, uh, buys the most expensive meats and uh, just has this uh, tremendous banquet prepared. And, and then he writes up all the invitations on fancy cardstock and he sends them out by his servants to all of the, the rich people and the, the elitist crowd and they all begin to make an excuse. Why they can't come. And can you imagine the disappointment of this king that he's worked so hard to invite his friends and to invite those that he loved and all of them uh, collectively have found an excuse not to come and the king becomes angry. And the king looks at his servants and he says, I set this banquet up. We're going to have a banquet. Go out and find anybody and everybody and get them here. We're going to have a good time. Who did, he, who did the king send? Uh, who did the king send for? Well, letter A notice. He told his servants, he said, invite the impoverished. Invite, invite the impoverished. Look down at verse 21. The Bible says, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor. Bring in hither the the poor. He said, go find those that don't have any money. Go find those who are poor and get them here and make sure they feel welcomed. I had a friend tell me about a church in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. My friend told me, he said, there are many, many churches like this in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And I believe that it's not just Knoxville. I believe there's churches all over America, maybe even the world this way. This church has about four different last names in it. Most everyone in that church is related to someone else in the church. They don't keep pastors very long because the pastor comes in and tries to get the church to grow and the church digs in its heels and says, we don't want visitors. The church has about a million dollars in the bank. They don't want a church. They want a country club. They want a country club. He says there's churches all over the suburbia, Knoxville area, just like that. You know, the truth is, when you bring in kids from single-parent homes, you bring in kids who don't always behave themselves well, sometimes they're going to take a razor blade to the back of an expensive pew chair. Sometimes they're going to wad up paper towels and get them wet and throw them up onto the ceiling. Sometimes they're going to stop up a sink. Sometimes they're going to draw on the walls. Sometimes they're going to break something. Don't you ever, ever, ever have an attitude that says, get those bus kids out of here. Because that's about as anti-Bible of an attitude as you can have. Jesus said that the king went and invited the poor. 
Sometimes we have kids that ride this bus and they don't behave our bus and they don't behave very well. And you know what? They go home and they hear mom and a boyfriend fighting. They see abuse. They walk outside their front door and they smell pot. They see drug deals. Can I just say this? That if you had been raised in their shoes, you'd probably behave just like they do. Maybe if you could just take a few minutes and put your stone down and get a heart of compassion, maybe you'd learn to love them. Maybe you'd learn to thank God that they're part of our church. I don't want to go to a church where everyone that attends that church is wealthy or looks like they're wealthy. I don't want to go to a church where everyone's life is perfect. I want to go to a church where people of every wealth class feel welcomed and loved because that is a church that pleases the Lord. Jesus said the king sent his servants out and told them to go find the impoverished. Go find the poor. Letter B, notice he sent his servants out and told them to invite the infirmed. Look back at verse 21. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. There are people today that are physically handicapped. And boy, they need the Lord. They need a ride to church. There are people who are emotionally handicapped and wounded. There are people who are socially and relationally handicapped and wounded and infirmed. And the Bible says that the king invited these folks to his banquet. Number four, lastly, notice the servant's duty. The servant's duty. Now this king tells his servants, hey, go invite the rich and, and make sure they know they're welcomed at our banquet. And the rich snub their nose at the banquet. And they come back and the servant says, hey, uh, uh, they have no interest in coming. And the king loses his cool for a minute and tells the servants, he says, okay, then go out and get the poor and bring them into the banquet And you know what? The servants had a job. Letter A, notice, we must prioritize. We must prioritize. We're picking up steam. We're picking up speed. We're almost done. Hang in there with me. Look at verse 21. So that that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly. Go out quickly. Go out quickly in the streets and lanes of the city. He didn't say, Go take care of your affairs and your business and go get your house in order and then come back and we'll put you to work. He said, No. Go out quickly. He said, Prioritize your life in such a way where the very first thing you do is go find folks and get them to this banquet. We must prioritize. Letter B, letter B notice, we must persuade. Look, look back at verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Compel them to come in. I get tickled sometimes listening to my wife on the phone with a teenager. She's trying to get to church She's gone by to visit him on Saturday, and, and uh, he or she uh, doesn't answer the door. They're inside, but they don't answer the door. They think, oh, man, Mrs. Lejeune's here, Miss Angel's here, and she's going to push me to come. And, and so they just act like no one's home. And, you know, uh, they, you knock on the door, and a little kid speaks up and says, no one's home, right? <laughs> and then uh, I hear her on the phone that evening, right? She's, she's, 
I, I pretty much don't have a wife on Saturdays because she's a bus captain, right? She's just focused on that bus ride. I thank God for that because, I, I, I mean, she, she's good to me. She takes, she takes care of the needs around her home. But her first priority is that bus ride on Saturdays. And uh, I hear her on the phone on Saturday evenings, and she gets a teenager, one of these teenagers on the phone, and she says to them, uh, you're going to be there tomorrow, right? Uh, if I wake up, and then she'll say, you're going to turn that video game off at 10 or 11 o'clock tonight, right? You're going to go to bed, right? Uh, maybe. And man, she's pushing and pushing and pushing. And then on Sunday, she's texting and texting and calling and calling and knocking and knocking and, and pushing and pushing. And man, sometimes these uh, uh, folks that ride the bus, they get irritated with her because she's compelling them to come in. That's what we need are people who say, hey, look, the Lord's banquet hall in heaven, we want it filled one day. We want you there. We must prioritize. Letter B, notice we must persuade. Letter C, notice we must persist. We must persist. Look at verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. They went into the highways and, and byways and uh, rather, they, they went out in the streets and lanes and, and, and brought folks in and brought everybody in they could get. And there was still room in the banquet hall. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out a second time. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. We must persist. Let me finish this morning. My Bible's closed. I'm almost done. Let me just finish this morning by saying this. It would be really healthy for some of you to give up your Saturdays and Sundays and help us grow the bus ministry. For every Taylor and Teandre and Isaiah and Jael that are part of our church, there are hundreds and thousands of others that would like to be part of our church. They just don't know it yet. And they're not going to know it if someone doesn't go invite them. Amen? Now, I understand that many of you can't and won't. I understand that. But some of you should. Some of you should start praying right now about how God could get you involved in our church's bus ministry. You say, well, Pastor, I'm part of that can't walk crowd. What about me? Well, there's two other ways you can help. Everyone can do this. We all can pray. Amen? How many of you this morning, I'm going to do this with everyone's eyes open, how many of you this morning will commit to praying for a bus ministry? Pray for it. Amen? Pray for it today. Pray for it tomorrow. Be praying for it in 51 weeks right before we have bus emphasis Sunday again. And pray for it every week in between. There's one other way that you can help, and that is that you can financially uh, uh, donate to helping pay for our rental buses. We'd like to start running a rental bus again on, also on Wednesday evening to bring in an even greater amount. We run our shuttle bus, but there's Scarpetti drives that. Uh, but we'd like to open it up and run a bigger bus on uh, Wednesday evenings and pay for a rental there as well. It's $160 each time we rent the bus, and so that would double what we would spend, and, but we cannot do that without your generous giving. Some of you could open up your wallets and you could pay so more, more boys and girls could come and be part of youth group on Wednesday evenings or be part of Master Club on Wednesday evenings and grow in their knowledge and love for God. And one day we'd like to eat, see Brother Carson's Rock grow to where we need to rent a full bus for that. The, you give it, we'll find a way to use it to grow the bus ministry. But let's pray this morning that God would use each of us to contribute to fulfilling this great commission and filling up that banquet hall. Life saving station on wheels. Let's be a part in our own way of making that happen. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith in Jesus Christ.
to save me. I know I'm going to heaven. Jesus is my Savior. If that's your testimony, would you hold up your hand? I've believed in Jesus. He's my Savior. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? Many hands. How many of you here would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die today, I don't know where I would go. I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. I'm not against heaven. I'm not against the Lord. I just really don't know. There's a seed of doubt in my mind where I would go. If that's you today, you'd like me to pray for you. My friend, I have no intention of embarrassing you, but I would like to pray for you. If that's you and you're here today, you don't know, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Is there anyone? How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, something that was said in the message today, I see I've got some adjustments to make in my life. I see that the bus ministry or the concept of reaching people with the gospel needs to carry a higher priority to me and my family. Pastor, pray for me that God would help me to make the changes I need to make. If that's you, would you hold up your hand right where you are? Pastor, would you pray for me? Amen. Many hands. Many hands. And then lastly, how many here would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going through a hardship in my life right now. I'd really appreciate it if you'd pray for me as I go through this difficulty. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? I'm going through a hardship, going through a struggle, going through a hard time. Many hands raised. I'll pray for you. Lord, today, those that raise their hands, lastly, need help through a struggle. May they turn to you through their struggle. May you grow them through that struggle. Would you hold their hand through their storm? Lord, help all of us today to be proactive with the gospel. Work in our hearts. Thank you for our bus workers and all they invest and do for the cause of Christ. Bless them. Encourage them. Help us to hold up their hands and support them every way we can. In Jesus' name.